The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we share a panel discussion between corporate archivists from Levi, Patagonia, and Carhartt from our 2021 Outdoor History Summit. Enjoy. Um, I'm Clint Pumphrey. I'm the manuscript curator and head of special collections at Utah State University. Uh, For about four years, Chase and I have been working to put together a collection of historical materials related to outdoor recreation and the outdoor industry that we've branded the Outdoor Recreation Archive. Um, Most notably, this includes our catalog collection, which includes more than 3,500 outdoor gear catalogs uh, from nearly 700 companies dating from 1900 to the present. Uh, You may know this collection from the really great Instagram account that Chase maintains. Uh, but we're moving into other type of, types of materials as well. And we now have a growing collection of business records, correspondence, sketchbooks, and other documents and photographs from industry pioneers and designers. Um, I could talk about the work that we do on this archive all day, but I'm actually here to visit with some of my colleagues at uh, Brand Archives that are doing really great work preserving the history of their companies. Um, so today I'm joined by uh, Tracy Panic at Levi Strauss, uh, Dave Moore at Carhartt, and hopefully we'll get uh, Hillary uh, McLeod from Patagonia on here in a minute. Um, they're going to share with you a little bit about their collections, uh, explain and explain why archives are so important to their brands. Um, so through this conversation, kind of to reiterate what Chase said, we really hope to convince folks out there who work for brands. Uh, that you should really start preserving your heritage uh, through archives work. So uh, just to get started, um, let's just kind of get to know our panelists and their their archives. So um, Tracy, if we could start with you, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your, your facility, your staff, um, and your collections? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh... Hello, everyone. Good morning from San Francisco Bay Area. Thanks for having me, Clinton Chase. It's it's great to um, be part of the conversation. I am a part of a mighty team of two, two permanent uh, staff in our archives. Uh, there's myself, the historian and director of the archives, and then uh, my partner in crime, Laura O'Hara, who is our archivist. Uh, we often have... Uh, contractors and interns who work with us. And we do have an outside vendor who handles our digital uh, tool that we use, but uh, we do a lot of work, uh, just just the two of us. So for those of you who just heard the 30 <laughs> from, from Disney, you can do it as well with, with a smaller uh, group and staff. We have, uh, our archives has been around for 32 years. It was established in 1989 by uh, the last uh, CEO who was a family member, uh, a Strauss family member, the great great grandnephew of Levi himself uh, was the CEO Bob Haas, who uh, hired my predecessor, the historian uh, Lynn Downey, and set up the archives. So we've had um, 
we've been around for quite a while as an archives. We have an extensive collection. Uh, the important pieces are kept on site in the um, the room that's that's blue but behind me that you can see uh, that includes a blue fireproof safe where we keep the oldest pair of blue jeans in the world and uh, everything from from those to our climate sealed parkas from the 1950s. Uh, and we also have a lot of things off-site because it's such an extensive collection. Uh, most of it is uh, garments and uh, we the largest item in the collection in includes uh, a Jeep, a Levi's branded Jeep that we have that we couldn't possibly fit in, in the space where uh, I, I work. Uh, and then the smallest would be a um, some rivets, copper rivets that were found uh, at a ranch uh, in central California along with pieces of China uh, that were part of a roadside stand um, where Chinese workers uh, worked near a limestone quarry. And then uh, my favorite part of the collection, and then I'll turn it over to you, Dave, is uh, a letter collection that we have from consumers. Uh, uh, and one of my favorites is from 1939, a woman named Virginia Brooke, uh, Brooke Bush, who wrote a letter in 39 on this terrific stationery. It's got a picture of people outdoors around a camp, uh, a fire at a camp. And uh, they she wrote that she operated with her family a saddle horse concession in Teton uh, National Park where every man, woman and child she wrote wore, wore Levi's. So that's a bit about us. Thank you, Dave. You want to take a crack at it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm uh, I'm here in uh, Metro Detroit, uh, Michigan. So I, I work for Carhartt. And we're based out of uh, Dearborn, Michigan, and we're established in Detroit in 1889. Um, so Levi's has a few years on us. Uh, but I came into Carhartt uh, about seven years ago as a contractor. Uh, the company was celebrating its 125th anniversary. And that was really where the motivation came from to start an official archive. So uh, 125 years in is when we, when we started that uh, started that process. So uh, I came in as a contractor initially just to kind of I was actually still a grad student at the time uh, in history and uh, and library science and archives, and I came in to basically just do a catalog of the collection, you know, uh, in a sense, not really a collection yet, just kind of what had been saved in closets and uh, uh, some museum displays throughout the headquarters and at other places. So really the initial uh, motivation to start the archives at Carhartt was to have just kind of a record of, of what had been kept and what historical materials were around uh, so that people didn't have to go digging through boxes and, and digging through things to find what they needed. It had always been a company that was very proud of its history and, and history minded, but never had that kind of formal archive. Um, but it became pretty clear pretty quickly uh, that, you know, the company was very happy to have a, a resource, somebody who could do research, who could kind of put uh, evidence around a lot of the things that were sort of oral tradition over the years. Uh, you know, one example being just kind of the years that we had established and introduced certain garments. You know, we had had things that had legacies going back to the beginning of the company, others over a hundred years. So um, really having somebody who had that subject matter expertise uh, became pretty high demand pretty quickly. Um, so much like Tracy, I'm also a team of two. Um, I, it's myself and then a contractor who works, uh, with me, uh, a full-time contractor that works with me. And then we also have a ongoing internship program, uh, in the archives at Carhartt. So I think at this point we've hosted about 12 or 13, uh, interns since we started seven years ago who have been, uh, instrumental to really establishing the archive, you know, doing, you know, cataloging and processing of materials, uh, doing digitization, organizing things, all that kind of stuff. I would never be where I am without them. Um, so we actually report up uh, through the creative marketing department within Carhartt. Uh, but obviously, I, you know, serve a lot of different departments within the company. And we are very blessed and lucky to have just moved into our first climate controlled, custom designed archive space just over the last month or two, uh, which is very exciting. <laughs> so um, we're still working on kind of getting settled in there, but um, 
Yeah, we have really just about everything you can imagine related to the history of the company. Obviously, clothing, going back all the way to you know our our um, first style of overalls, you know, introduced in the late 1800s, uh, all the way up to crazy Southwest clothing from the 1990s. Um, some of our early leather gloves from the early 1900s, but then also correspondence from our founder to his sales team and to others. Um, you know, obviously catalogs and, and, you know, business records like construction records and, you know, uh, uh, blueprints for facility expansions and all that kind of stuff. So um, really just about everything under the sun. So uh, yeah, that's kind of a little snapshot of, of what we have at Carhartt and kind of how we got started. Excellent. Thank you. And Hillary, thank, uh, glad you, glad you're here. Um, we, <laughs> Uh, we've just kind of just gotten started, so um, I'll give you a chance to jump in and and just tell us a little bit about your facility and staff and collections there at Patagonia. Okay, great. Yeah, sorry about the little technical scare there, but uh, second time was a charm, luckily. Um, yeah, happy to be here uh, in Ventura, California. I'm actually here in the archives right now. Uh, we have two buildings. Uh, one is 8,000 square feet, the one that I'm in now. We actually have access to a building next door to us that is 10,000 square feet, but we uh, use about half of that for storage. So the main building that I'm in right now um, houses, it, you know, we have conference rooms, desks, and really the majority of our collection and inventory, which Gosh, I think if we counted it up, we were thinking about it the other day. We're, we're not only talking about tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of everything you can think of with um, correspondence, garments, shoes, hardware. Um, we've got all of the private collection. We've got artwork. Um, and really, our, our story is kind of a quiet and... Um, unexpected beginning. Our, our two founders are still uh, working in our group. It's a young archive. So they had a, a small team of people that were interested in uh, collecting the history and protecting it. About uh, six years ago, our archive was founded. Um, and what's great about that is we still have uh, the first file pile jacket that was made was actually sewn by uh, the archive manager. So we still have a lot of great connections within the company. I started here about a year ago, but I've been with the company for 17 years. Um, Dave, I think you touched on this a little bit, uh, but Hillary and Tracy, where does the archive live in your company structure? I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, we are part of marketing. Uh, we have been in marketing for the last two years. Before that, we were part of communications, uh, the team that, that dealt with um, with sharing out information. Um, although we serve virtually all, all, all parts of the business, that's where we sit. We're actually under HR, which uh, gives it a, a bit of a different feel. Although we work with um, marketers and our storytelling and impact department, um, we're not working under the marketing side of things um, on a daily basis. Great. Um, a question I just want to throw out to the panel. Um, what does a typical day look like for you and your work? I can start. I'm laughing because, uh, you know, no, no days is typical, but it's one of the things I love about my work because uh, every day is a little bit different. Maybe I'll just share what, what happened yesterday. Uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm working heavily and probably most with designers. Uh, so yesterday we had a large donation from one of our designers, Q, that came in with uh, 1970s parkas. Um, 
and uh, ski bibs, so a ski collection that we are adding to the collection. I do a lot of um, answer a lot of questions from the designers or share with them materials from uh, from images of uh, earlier pieces or garments that they can use for inspiration. I do um, a lot of work with outside fans as well, who, in fact, about half, just under half of my requests come from from the outside people uh, who are writing to know more about their materials. And often it's through their uh, questions that I acquire pieces, uh, like um, a recent from uh, a recent question that came in from someone in Portland, Oregon, a guy named Dave, who was at an estate sale and found a 1920s Levi's hiking coat and uh, it was among some military pieces, and he wanted to know more, and uh, we ended up acquiring that. Uh, I also do a lot of uh, writing for the company um, as the historian. It, it goes out on our blog. Uh, this year, we're celebrating the 85th anniversary of our red tab that we've had on our products since 1936, and so I wrote a story about that and about uh, a quirky town called East Tin Cup, Colorado, that had a giant barn with uh, an outdoor Levi's sign on it, and uh, also am the uh, uh, do do a lot of uh, after this uh, after this presentation, I'm going to be uh, doing a presentation for new employees at the company to tell them a little bit about what we do and do a lot of work with with press. So that's a bit about uh, work that I do. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's, I mean, it's a lot of the same kind of vein, you know, it's, it's, there's always a variety every day. I think, uh, just to, like, I'll go up a little bit and just talk like come from a general sense. Um, it's really a mixture of what I would term like in the trenches, traditional archival work, you know, so that, that work of going out and finding new materials or soliciting donations from, from customers or working with other departments in the company to get you know, materials transferred over to the archive that are, you know, aren't being actively used anymore. Um, obviously, one of my favorite things, and, and you know, I'm sure uh, the others on the panel might might agree is, you know, the searching out, you know, finding finding some of that old stuff that sort of fills in the gaps of, of product you might not have in your collection. So I do a lot of, uh, obviously, during COVID, it's been a lot on eBay, but I've always enjoyed going to, you know, vintage stores or kind of connecting with uh, vintage sellers through social media, you know, that might have an eye out for, for things for me. So getting those new materials and then really the, the nitty gritty archival work of, you know, processing them, recording all the data about them into, you know, into, you know, cataloging them so that I can search and find them when I need them, um, organizing them, preserving them, doing digitization. I mean, it's all the kind of, you know, um, traditional archival tasks that you do. But again, more and more, you know, as, as the archive has been established at Carhartt and more visible, it's, you know, it's sitting on project teams and, and you know, strategizing about how we can bring the history into a new marketing campaign, uh, just like Tracy working with designers on how we can, you know, bring product, uh, you know, bring history and, and archival uh, garments and details and things into what we're making now, which, you know, in some cases has been a straight up reproduction of, of an old, uh, an old garment that we've done, you know, as a special, you know, special edition model, but more often than not, it's patterns, graphics, those kind of things, um, really kind of digging into the archives and finding, um, cool, you know, bits and pieces of the historical material that, that we can include in new product. Um, like a bunch of stuff we just released with, uh, you know, our, our first camouflage pattern. So, you know, it's all new stuff, but it's using that, you know, inspiration from our original camouflage that we introduced in the seventies. Um, and yeah, you know, working, working with HR is a huge one, um, for me because we really are very focused on the mission of our founder, Hamilton Carhartt, really being established as a company that started with the end user, you know, his, he went out talking to railroad workers in order to, you know, figure out how to build the best possible overall for them. Um, so really working with HR with new employees to, to reinforce that mission. And, and obviously it takes a million different forms today, but you know, that that's still how we operate and still what we do um, is hugely important too. So, you know, a typ typical day could be just about anything, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Same here. Such variety, which makes it really interesting. Um, 
In fact, when I started, I was a brand archivist. That's how I came on. Um, and I was doing, you know, planning on accessioning, uh, managing donations and donor relationships, oral history, uh, loans, those kinds of communications. And then we were approved to secure a subscription for the TMS gallery systems and e-museum, which we're really excited about. And as you can imagine, that really shifted us into a high gear of getting that system configured and loaded. And therefore, uh, with that came the need for some more resources. So we were able to grow our team. So kind of, you know, remaining flexible and really shifting gears. I personally uh, went into more of an operational role at that point, um, you know, job descriptions, uh, getting people on board so that we can help uh, get the system loaded. Therefore, our, you know, co-workers and the company can utilize it. Um, so now my role is actually more about keeping the deck cleared so that the TMS team um, can do the, the really important work of uh, loading the system, shooting garments. Um, we're actually even trying to bring more people on to, to get that work done because we've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of objects here that we need into the system. So, um, yeah, just remaining flexible and enjoying the variety of, of whatever is going to come that day. It does change. A, a number of you uh, mentioned the collaboration you do with people in, in your company, and um, I'm really interested to dig a little deeper into that. Um, you know, who do you collaborate with most often? And, and maybe tell us of a particularly successful collaboration that you've had with uh, other folks in your company. I can jump in. <laughs> we've, we've done a lot of collaborations uh, with fashion brands, streetwear brands. Uh, for outdoor folks, um, everyone from Filson to uh, Pendleton, but one of the more interesting recent collaborations uh, was, was with Google, which, which might be a surprise, but we, we created one of the first uh, wearable garments uh, using copping, copper wiring. Uh, we, we looked back to our early copper riveted 1800s jackets for for inspiration um, when it came to that, but the uh, the jacket was wired so that it, it could be touch activated um, with a cuff with a with a copper wiring and uh, with Bluetooth to connect to a mobile device, and you could use it. Uh, the jacket was intended to be worn if you were riding a bicycle outdoors. Uh, we call it. Um, Project Jacquard. And uh, for most collaborations, it starts with a, a visit to the archives. Uh, we, we let the, uh, the partner brands take a look. Uh, I'll, I'll share with them some of the earliest pieces and other pieces through the decades so they have a sense of what our aesthetic is, what the uh, design elements that are essential to include uh, as they consider what part of their design they will use as well. Uh, yeah, I can I could jump in next. <clears throat> I would say that, you know, internally, as far as, you know, who I work with the most often, um, you know, we're, we're really we're growing, um, you know, the archive is really growing how much it works with with product design. But, you know, the reason that I'm organized under creative marketing was because that was really the first department I was able to make an impact with. And I think that was because you know, sort of the, the archive team was, was so small as in it was just me. Um, and, you know, so much of the, so much of the product design work is obviously done so far out that it was easier early on to kind of make an impact with marketing because, you know, you were kind of closer to when, you know, the actual campaign was coming out or something was going to happen. So I could kind of see an opportunity and, and jump in. Um, and one of the, one of the things that really was able to cement the value of the archives at Carhartt was um, in 20, well, it was in 2015, we worked on it. So just a year after, you know, we even first started establishing it. Um, and then they were later released in 2016 was we were introducing a whole lot of new types of product that we had never done before. Um, for instance, we were doing, um, you know, we were really growing our work with dry fit 
shirts, you know, we were releasing a line that was called Force Extremes that was kind of this big uh, uh, step up in our dry fit clothing that we had only actually introduced only a few years before. So the idea behind the marketing, you know, traditionally, of course, is, you know, show the breakdown of it, show every little feature and all those things. But, you know, what we decided to do was say, well, we're really trying something new. We're in a space where we're competing with a lot of companies that have been doing that sort of stuff for longer than we have. So we wanted to lean on our history to show that this might be a new type of technology that we're working with, but you can trust what we're doing because we have this long history of building quality products. So what we decided to do for the commercials for that new product was actually uh, work with our product design department and the archives with product design to create patterns of these old, you know, iconic pieces of Carhartt to work with our our sewing uh, our sewing lab, for lack of a better term, uh, down in Kentucky, who makes all our samples and prototypes and things like that to actually literally recreate the old clothes and then film historical reenactments of scenes of people wearing, you know, our iconic product throughout history. Uh, and we were actually lucky enough at the time to collaborate uh, with Jason Momoa, who is actually directing those commercials, which was really cool. Um, everything from guys working on a farm all the way to a reenactment of the clothing we made uh, for the military during World War One. So they were literally blowing things up and having a trench warfare scene <laughs> recreated. Um, so that kind of collaboration really made the impact with marketing to the point that we, you know, that was really where we were working, you know, and why the kind of the archive is organized under that department, because it was such a successful collaboration and all of that footage we shot, which I'll talk a little bit later, but just like a lot of things in the archives, that's a huge uh, return on investment is it's ever, a lot of the stuff is evergreen. We use that footage all the time as clips in different commercials. Um, you know, it's always something you can use because it's sort of agnostic of what exactly is going on right now. You always have that footage to use no matter what uh, the purpose might be later. Yeah, um, I think what's interesting about Patagonia's archive is that our team of now 10 people has combined um, years of experience at the company um, equating to over 200. So the, the founding um, members are, you know, 40 year, 35 year, 20 year plus employees, um, which really makes those internal connect connections and networking so strong. Um, you know, the team really knows their way around the company and, and has those connections. Um, we're as an archive, um, a lot of people reach into us from product design, merchandising, um, our, our retail visual team uh, comes to us for research. Um, one of our team members, our curator, just finished an incredible display for our new Honolulu store. And it's not so much about Patagonia's history, it's the history of that store and where it sits in Honolulu. Um, so we're constantly helping with um, making those connections, uh, you know, between retail and Patagonia. Um, we also work with our facilities and buildings team. One thing that's on our plate right now is um, considering moving our archives, which as you can imagine, that's a big undertaking. So there's a lot of collaboration right now going on, um, finding that next spot for us. Um, our storytellers, writers, um, you know, what's the history of organic cotton or story on fleece or denim. What was our first denim piece? How long ago, you know, did we start those products? Cause there's a lot of history at Patagonia where products come back They're, They seem like they might be new, like our workwear collection. Um, but it actually harkens back to like our standup pieces and, and some of those um, products. Um, externally, a lot of museums have reached into us. Um, one that was, uh, really successful. And one of the first was um, the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And they were doing a show called Fashion. Uh, let's see, it was Fashion is Modern, and it was selecting iconic fashion pieces from the past century. And they selected our uh, snap tea, our cinchilla snap tea. Um, and it was featured in a book. And now we have that book. So there's been a lot of um, 
you know, return on, I think Dave was mentioning just the return on investment with the, on the PR side and making those connections um, externally. I think at first it was a little time consuming and we worried about um, working with museums and, and loaning pieces, um, took a lot of resources, but uh, now we understand the value of that. Uh, yeah. Thanks. I, I just think it's so fantastic how much your companies have invested in preserving your heritage. And, um, but, you know, I, I, there must, I think sometimes there's a, there's a reason for that. And it's probably because of it's some benefit to the company. And so, um, you know, what benefits does the archive uh, have for the company? And, you know, kind of in business speak, what's the return? What is that return on investment uh, uh, for the archives program? Um, I can take that. Um, I really feel like the archives offers, it's an important resource when we want to learn from our past, um, but it also, it guides our future. And as at Patagonia, as we consider how to grow our advocacy work and, and including more diversity and justice and anti-racism, um, it really provides for a critical direction for how we can evolve what we've done. So it's not just always repeating the past. Um, like Ed was saying, it's what, what do we want to, you know, do differently in some cases. Um, so as we consider new products, uh, designers spend a lot of time here. Um, they have spaces that they can come into and work and, and check out gear and, um, or sit and, and do some reading or writing. Um, so that's sort of tying back to the foundation, but also evolving. Um, also, as we face certain legal questions, the archives provides important answers uh, to questions that, you know, how have we handled things in the past? We have um, PR books, ads, we have huge room of filled with binders on um, trademarks and how we've used products in the past. So I think in terms of like return on investment and, um, you know, why a company would need an archive that that legal connection has been really valuable to us yeah i'll, I'll chime in uh thanks hillary i i think that you covered a lot of important points uh, there, it's an interesting question these days because uh they're with with things like ftps and um and licensing or other, or other kinds of things, there might be a way to monetize uh, products or other things in the in the archives. But for us, we see it as an investment in uh, in everything from fan engagement uh, to, um, to to legal litigation. Uh, we we certainly, as, as Hillary pointed out, can uh, demonstrate our, our worth by being able to. Find and uh, demonstrate our, our patent or trademark um, use from very early on. Uh, it also includes, you know, the press work that we do, and the uh, you know you can. There are formulas where you can calculate just how much value you can get in the stories that you share out, and a way to uh, to differentiate your products through um, through being able to demonstrate how how not only that they've been around for a long time, but just how long they last. So the quality that, uh, that Dave also pointed to, all of those things are important uh, ways for us to, uh, to demonstrate the worth and the value of the archives. In addition to being able to, um, to something that's, that's important to a lot of brands, demonstrate their authenticity by being able to go back to an archives and literally pull out a document that, um, that refers to or shows a, a pattern when it was first used or um, an, an image where we can demonstrate first use or an unusual use of it. So lots of great benefits to having an archives. Yeah. I th you know, a lot of what I would say is, has already been said really, as far as uh, a lot of practical application like stuff. And, and what I, what I would say, I will get a little philosophical on you, I guess. Uh, I think for us, you know, being a, a company that really, you know, our, our, our log line of today is, you know, we're, we're here to serve and protect all hardworking people. And, you know, on the surface, you have that statement and you have that claim, right? But without the archive, what, you know, what are you really saying? You know, you, you, you make that commitment, but without 
the evidence to, to go back to your earliest years or to, to go back through your past and show how you're making a claim, but you have the material to back it up. You know, we have Hamilton Card writing about how he was out on the railroad, visiting with these guys, talking to them, learning about what they needed out of their garments, you know, um, and, and, and all of the evidence that we have throughout the past. And you bring that all the way forward to today with, you know, our uh, consumer insights people and our product R&D and how they're always out on different job sites and looking at new professions we haven't analyzed before, how they work, how they move what sort of, you know, flexibility they need in their clothing, where their pockets need to be, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, for us, you know, within the company, it's such a source of pride to be able to go back to the beginning and say, that's what we were built on from the very beginning. We, we obviously evolve and change and, you know, you bring in new technologies and all sorts of crazy new fabrics and moisture wicking and flexible fabrics and all that kind of stuff. But, um, it's always, you know, really been a goal of mine to, to have the archive be that place that you can go and say, if we make this claim, we can back it up through our history because we have the documents and the evidence and the old clothes and, and all that, you know, to prove it, not only the clothes that show, you know, a nice pristine example of how something was designed in the first place, but also the clothes that have been returned from customers that they, and maybe even a, a son or daughter, or even a grandson wore for 20 years. And sure they're, they're beat up. Right. But it took that long to get them to that point. So reinforcing the, the quality aspect of it too. So, um, I think for me, that's always been kind of a North Star in how I've run the archive is to say, we're here to show how things were started in the first place and how we continue that tradition today, that it's not just something we throw on a, a poster or a, or a web banner and, and that's where it ends. Yeah, thanks. I think those are just so great, uh, such great reasons to invest in an archives program and such a wide range of reasons too. I mean, really tangible stuff, just a little more intangible stuff. And uh, so I appreciate that, that great uh, defensive archives that you all gave. Um, I'm curious, you know, maybe, you know, for where people are starting to think, you know, I, I want to start an archive. This sounds like something I want to get in on. Um, what would be your advice to a company or, uh, who was looking to start an archives or history program? Maybe I'll jump in. Um, and first I need to correct something. It wasn't FTPs I was referring to. It was NFTs. It's so new. I was trying to learn about what those are. Um, I, I have been on both ends. Um, I joined Levi's uh, when the, the uh, archives was was already about 25 years old, but I've also, uh, in prior work, uh, helped establish an archives, uh, a bit like Dave. So, um, I would say uh, to start small. Um, ideally, you would you would be able to hire a professional archivist, but uh, we we are lucky at Levi's to have benefited from a lot of people who just saved things and put them together. And being able to do that is huge and important start. You can get lots of resources from uh, the Society of American Archivists, a professional organization that I belong to, and then there's a business archives uh, section. A shout out to all of you out there who are uh, with the section. And uh, yeah, you can get lots of great uh, information that way. Uh, you can, as I said, you can start small, build up, you can benchmark what other people are doing. We've heard already from a lot of folks visiting others, finding out what they do. And uh, we're, we're pretty good about supporting one another and, uh, and liking to help, um, help folks. Uh, there's even an international organization of, uh, of business archivists uh, at Levi Strauss. We hosted a conference two years ago in San Francisco and and uh, so, it, it, whether you're in in the states or or overseas, you can you can get you can get help to get started. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in right there because I was able to attend that conference and it was uh, absolutely fantastic and one of the best conferences I've I've been to and also my first time in San Francisco, so that was also uh, amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, echoing a lot of what Tracy said um, for me um, when I first came in. It was really, um, or, or uh, you know, if you're starting it, it's it's 
doing fact finding with the departments within the company. Um, that was kind of the first thing I did. Obviously I came in and, you know, I was under contract and all that. So, you know, I was making sure to go through everything and be producing tangible records of, you know, how much stuff I had gone through that week or whatever. Um, but at the same time, just as important was meeting with, um, you know, stakeholders that were identified within the different departments to be like, have you used the history in the past? Like where, you know, what ways have you used it? What times have you wish you had known more and what sort of topics that may have had to do with, or um, also actively, like, what are you creating? You know, what are, what are the sort of reports and documents and things that you create? So um, it was really trying to identify who was going to be at least from the outset, um, you know, obviously we still work and try to bring in new people. I'm always trying to kind of like, you know, be like, I've never really worked with that team. Like, I wonder if, you know, I might reach out to somebody and say, you know, um, you know, what value do you think you could get out of working with the archive? But, um, it was great to get our head around, like what the wish list kind of was for getting a better conception of the history and the materials that had been saved, um, was it was a huge thing for me when I first came in. I still reference a lot of those documents even now, these interviews and things that I did with key folks in marketing or product design or HR. Um, and that, you know, made a huge impact on the direction of the archive from the beginning and, and really want to echo something that Tracy said, which is like, take it one piece at a time. It's an, you know, especially for me in particular with 120 com coming into a 125 year old company at the time, which had had no formal archive before it was extremely daunting. Uh, and I'm definitely a little bit of a perfectionist and, and always, you know, have one eye on the end goal. And, you know, that the, the goal for me was just to try and not keep both eyes on that to celebrate the little wins and, and all of those things. So, um, you know, it can be what you want it to be and what you feel like you have the resources for it to be at the beginning. And it can become so much more later. Um, and I think that's, you know, coming up with kind of a strategic plan where you are like, what is the most pressing need? What are, what are people really looking for to, to gain more knowledge about the history? Um, let's focus on that first and let's build out the rest of it later. Yeah. Um... Definitely start now. Um, get your older people because I think, as Ed mentioned, unfortunately, you know you're going to miss some of them. Otherwise, um, as people pass away, you know other people have to tell their 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 story. Um, it's better to get someone to tell their own story if you can. Um, obviously, oral history, gathering um, as much information as people retire. Um, that's something that our founders were able to do uh, because they had those connections. They had so much given to them right away. Um, they actually started with the taking things one thing at a time. Um, they, they didn't have library science backgrounds, so they Googled and got books on archiving and uh, something that struck them was you can kind of go the tweezer approach or the shovel approach. And they were really trying to tweeze through everything, you know, with special boxes and being careful of sunlight and gloves, which is important. But at the time, they actually needed to shift gears and just get um, get the shovel out and start putting things uh, into the archives. Um, we were fortunate as a company that um, years ago, we had a photographer who was working on a school project, Gary Register, and he photographed a lot of the early climbing days. Um, and so we had that collection. We'd worked with um, Register to... Um, purchase that collection. And so a lot of our history on the early climbing days, um, you know, we, we can catalog it and have those, those photographs. So anything that you have that you can kind of reach back um, or, you know, history is being made right now. So start, um, start with photographs, oral history, um, friends, stories, um, donations, We've been using uh, Teams instead of um, 
old fashioned interviewing with a, a camera person in a room, mostly because of COVID. Um, so utilizing, you know, these kinds of platforms where you can actually do an oral history with somebody wherever they are anywhere in the world. And it's not expensive and it can be transcribed. So starting to do uh, those kinds of things now. Um, even if you don't have everything formalized, at least you're gathering, um, you know, the artifacts and the important pieces that you'll have for later. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, really great advice. Um, uh, we're getting towards the end of the panel, um, but I just wanted to do a lightning round uh, of a question that I get a lot myself in my work at, in, in archives, which is, uh, what is your favorite thing in the archives? Okay. I guess I'll, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you go, Dave. I'm going to listen okay. to yours. And <laughs> uh, mine's, mine's pretty easy, actually. Um, so I have a check in the archives from um, a store called Powers Clothing, which is in Jonesville, Michigan. It's kind of the, the middle of Michigan. Uh, it's a check from 1898 for... Uh, for an order of uh, a clothing from Carhartt. And uh, that com that store is still there today, still family owned by the same family, and it still sells Carhartt. Um, so that, I love it just because obviously, super cool old check, but at the same time, talk about bringing history forward to today, right? I mean, the relationship and all that, you know, 123, 123 years later. So that's, that's my favorite. <laughs> That's a fun one. Thanks, Dave. Uh, a month after I started at Levi Strauss back in uh, 2014, I got a phone call from a woman named Barbara and her daughter. They were about an hour away and they asked if they could stop by the archives to see an early pair of, of overalls that, that um, Barbara had donated back in the 40s. And I was thinking, uh, I wonder what she, what <laughs> wonder what she's talking about. She continued to describe it, and I knew exactly um, what it was. It, it is a pair that we keep in our fireproof safe. She had found it. Uh, it. It dated to 1890. She found it in a mine when she was out camping with friends in the 40s. They were they were teenagers at the time, and she took it home and um, wore it to high school. She patched it up and wore it to high school, and then. Um, brought it back. She was looking in the inside pocket bag and discovered our two horse trademark in the inside with a note that said for over 17 years, our products have been made, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on. But she realized they were a very early pair of Levi. So she wrote a letter to us and donated them. And being able to have that piece and know her story um, about the, the miner who would have worn it originally, and then the woman who wore it as a teen in the 40s was terrific. Uh, it's called Calico, and that's my favorite in the archives. That's awesome. Um, mine is actually a large case that takes up practically a whole wall of a conference room we have here. It's uh, the Marty Carabin collection. It's got, it houses almost every piece of uh, Chouinard climbing equipment. It's seven feet by 15. Um, and it's not only just beautiful to look at and meticulous, it's truly a piece of art. Um, but what I love about it is I'm now helping to manage the inventory on that collection specifically. So uh, Marty is loaning this collection to us um, and I'm working with him on uh, identifying pieces and, and you know further diving into our archives of what we have. But it just reminds me every day of kind of how things circle around. And you can see the evolution of Chouinard equipment within this case, but um, here we are today, so many years later, and, and uh, still talking about it, still touching things, still, still working on it. And, um, you know, making those connections and learning from it. And it just makes me smile every time I look at it. Great. Thank you so much uh, to our panelists for uh, uh, lending their insights. And I want to see if we have time, Chase, for a, a question or two uh, for our panelists before we go. Yeah, of course. Uh, here's, here's one. This, this seems like 
an archivist question, but what types of digital archiving systems are you using? Uh, I'll, I'll share. We have something we call the Virtual Vault Digital Archives. It's uh, a system that's... Um, that's run by our vendor Heritage Works, and uh, we have the the first in the first six months that I was at the company, we did a massive photo shoot and photographed everything on site, and that is what's in the system, along with uh, a huge array of everything from advertisements in our catalogs to um, to the letters that I described, like Virginia Brooke Bushes and uh, other pieces. Uh, it is what got us through COVID <laughs> when we couldn't get into the archives. Uh, there are um, over 100, probably close to 150,000 digital assets in there, and uh, it, it makes our work a lot easier. Mine's pretty brief. We don't really have one right now. We're working on that right now, but we do store uh, a lot of digitized archival material in uh, our enterprise uh, digital asset management system, which we call the vault, uh, which is uh, provided by our vendor, which is uh, Media Beacon. Um, but it also houses all of our active photography and product shots and all that stuff as well. Um, yeah, we're probably about a year plus out from being able to share our TMS gallery system e-museum that I mentioned earlier. Um, but, you know, we've got the system, we are loading it currently. Um, we're using it and being trained on it as a, a, the archivists in this, in this building and the team members. Um, but we're not uh, fully up and running on that yet and won't be for a while. But um, what's great about it and being on the ground floor is that as we are configuring the system, we're thinking through, you know, what we need because the system's actually set up more for, for artwork. Um, the Getty uses it, for example. Um, so we're sort of customizing it to our needs. And we're, um, as a team, small team, we're getting a lot of help from IT. A little shout out to our, our team there um, that's really uh, invaluable in helping us you know, get the get the field in that we'll we'll use ourselves. Um, we've also networked with uh, other companies like Adidas that has used the system and trying to learn uh, what they've learned from it. Kind of going back to the earlier points of you know checking in with other archives and getting as much help from them and experience um, because we're we are all here to help each other through this. So, yeah. Hillary, I will say you guys are doing a bang up job so far. Uh, Darcy gave me a sneak preview a few weeks ago of the system and it looks great. So you're doing great work. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Darcy and Jody, and we've got a team on our IT side that's helping us and we're, we're really excited about it. And every time we, we show other um, team members or employees or leadership, um, you know, we're sort of using that as our... Uh, we need our plea for more resources because they can see the value in having a system long-term. You know, you, there's only so much that our founding members can hold in their heads. We actually need to get it down into the system um, so that people can, can leave their legacy that way. All right. Thank you so much. I'm getting the word that we uh, need to wrap it up. So um, uh, one more thank you to our panelists for joining us and sharing their their knowledge and experience as, as working in, in corporate archives. Um, hopefully we've inspired some people today to uh, pursue that in their own in their own companies. Um, uh, if uh, if anyone has any other questions for the panel, uh, I think Chase dropped our contact info in the in the chat. And so um, uh, we would, of course, love to hear from folks and, and, and sounds like be of any help that we can. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.